Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is Pankaj Jain, a host on the New Books Network. And today we'll be talking to Professor Jeffrey Long about his 2009 book, Jainism, an Introduction, originally published by IB Taurus and now being marketed by Bloomsbury Press. Hello, Jeff Weiss, Professor Jeffrey Long, my longtime colleague and friend. We met, I think, almost 20 years back at a conference in Florida. And now here we are after almost two decades and we are together and still on the same journey. Uh, although yes. physically apart, but on the same journey. Uh, how are you? Namaste. Doing very well. Uh, it's wonderful to be here today. Thank you for inviting me to uh, have this conversation. Thank you. And congratulations on your new home uh, in Pennsylvania. And, Thank uh, you. <laughs> and uh, we have a you know, great background picture of Ramakrishna Paramhans also, yeah, as always. Uh, mm-hmm. But today we are going to specifically discuss about your Jainism book. Uh, I think of one of first of its kind that came by a Western scholar, scholar living in America on Jainism, right? Uh, uh, which introduced Jainism to general public, undergraduate students or even graduate students. So I guess first of all, so, so this is the book that came in 2009 called Jainism and Introduction by, uh, what was the publisher again? Sorry, uh, the name well, of I.B. Torres. I.B. Torres, uh, I think it's now being distributed by Bloomsbury. Oh, Bloomsbury also. All right, great. So uh, to begin with, I guess uh, I would like to ask, I think most of the scholars in America or even in Europe, I think they are mostly interested more in Hinduism and Buddhism. Jainism is relatively less known entity, even in India and, and also in the West. So how did you yes. get this idea to get into Jainism? Why Jainism and why this book? Well, that's a wonderful question. And uh, as you said, uh, like, uh, like many scholars, uh, my interests also were primarily in Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, I became interested especially in Hindu traditions from an early age. Uh, I am now part of the, the tradition of Sri Ramakrishna. That's why his picture is here. Yes. Uh, part of uh, what in America we call the Vedanta Society. In India, they call it Ramakrishna Mission. And, uh, and my advisor uh, in uh, graduate school, Paul J. Griffiths, was a scholar of Buddhism. So I did a lot of coursework in Buddhism. So how I got interested in Jainism, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's a little bit roundabout. Uh, but uh, one idea that has been very interesting to me and very central to my work all through from the beginning, um, my work on Hinduism as well as, as in Jainism, is the idea of what uh, in the Vedanta tradition they called Dharma Samanvaya or harmony of religions. Yeah. Uh, the idea that there's not just one true religion. See, I grew up in, in Missouri, a fairly conservatively Christian area. And there were a lot of people who believed you had to be Christian. If you weren't Christian, you were, you were going to hell, you were damned forever. In fact, not just Christian, you had to be the right kind of Christian. I grew up Catholic and that was not the right kind of for, for many of these people. So, so you're going to hell. And this whole idea that 
uh, a benevolent God would create billions and billions of life forms and send all of them to hell, except the handful that were part of this one church, never made sense to me. I just thought that was, that was not only did it not make sense, but I thought it was a destructive idea. You know, it's been used to justify imperialism and colonialism and all, you know, very, very problematic and all of the things that have flown out, you know, flown from, from that. So when I started getting interested in Indian religions, um, my first point of entry actually was Mahatma Gandhi. And I remember being really struck by a quote of his where he said, uh, religions are many paths to the same goal. It doesn't matter what path you take so long as you reach the goal. And I thought that made much more sense. I, I, I found that, that really drew me. But as I explored this idea more deeply and getting into graduate school and so on, I found there were many philosophers who were trying to articulate this idea, but it's difficult sometimes to persuade people philosophically about mm. this. Like on a sort of heart level, people say, oh yeah, that's great. Let everyone be included. Everyone should be, you know, uh, all paths should be respected and, and so on. The religions aren't all the same. They teach very different things, right? Christianity says there is a creator God. Jainism says no creator God, right? Mm. Buddhism says creator God. So how do we make sense of saying there are many paths and yet they are somehow fitting together into this larger harmony? And so as I studied Indian philosophy in Chicago, as I was at University of Chicago, hmm. and I began really delving deeply. I mean, I, most of my reading had been, you know, sort of more popular books, you know, autobiography of a yogi and, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, this was really, I'm getting into hardcore philosophy. And I read a book by the late Bimal Krishna Motilal, uh, hmm. called Lot, Language and Reality. Hmm. And it's very depth talks about Nyaya philosophy. And he has a wonderful section on Jainism. And he talked about this idea of Anekantavada, that reality is multifaceted and syadvada, that that hmm. have to analyze a truth claim in terms of the perspective from which it's made. And there, all truth claims can have some truth and some falsehood. And in that way, you could kind of create a harmonizing view, which is what a lot of the Jain philosophers do. They, they pull together, you know, Buddhism teaches impermanence. Vedanta teaches one unchanging reality. How do you bring them together? Well, there are ways of, of sort of showing logically that, you know, if you're talking about the phenomenal level of reality, it's very much like Buddhism describes. If you're talking about ultimate reality, you know, you get into a more Vedantic direction. So Jain philosophy had this very nice integrating pluralistic philosophy. So I made that the topic of my dissertation. And uh, I found another wonderful book by Maltilal that's just specifically on this. It's called, so it's a thin little book, but it's very profound. It's called Anekantavada, the Central Philosophy of Jainism. I found it when I was in India, in fact. I, I was living in India and uh, for two years, and I found that book. I said, this is, this is what I want to do. So I wrote my dissertation on that. And uh, in my first book, which is really sort of developing from kind of a Hindu perspective of this pluralistic philosophy. There is a chapter where I drew a lot from Jain thought, right? What I'd been studying in my dissertation. And so my uh, editor at uh, IB Taurus at the time, uh, Alex Wright, I, I think he works for Cambridge now. Uh, he said, uh, you know, you're, you also study Jain philosophy. There's not really a, hmm. an that easily accessible of a book on Jainism for say undergraduates. Why don't you write one? Hmm. And first I was really uh, daunted by that because I'd been studying the philosophy, hmm. not much anthropology, right? I, I wasn't, 
you know, when I was in India, I wasn't, you know, sort of going and spending time with, you know, Jain Munis or mm. much time. Since then, I've spent a lot of time with the Jain community and I feel very comfortable uh, in the Jain community. But mm. I knew very little about practice. Or, so I had to do a lot of research uh, to, mm. to write a book. Uh, but I accepted because I, I thought it was important for people to understand the tradition. There was a wonderful book, um, The China Path of Purification by uh, Padmanabh Jaini, who Ramjani. just re- who recently passed away. away. Yes. Very huge loss. You know, I mean, uh, yes. I, I tell people he was in his 90s, but he went too soon <laughs> because he's such a wonderful yes. uh, And uh, really, I, I was and I met him a couple of times. I was very mm-hmm. honored to know that his book was the only one available for many, mm-hmm. many years who wanted to learn about Jainism. And uh, it's a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the scholarship is always developing. Mm-hmm. So by the time my book came out, his was about 30 years old, right? Oh, so, right. Uh, you know, it was time for another for another oh, book. Right. Right. And so I uh, I published mine, but that that's the mm-hmm. story, right? My, mm-hmm. my entry point to the study of Jainism was Anikantavad, Syadvad, mm-hmm. and then that led to getting more engaged with the whole tradition. And really, mm. under, and I'm so glad that I did because it, it is so much to offer. And as you say, it's understudied, but I think it's mm. every bit as important as the as uh, two other main Dharma traditions, right? Hindu and Buddhist. Uh, Jain, the Jain tradition is a very important part of. of... Right, right. Yeah, great. Uh, so yeah, that gives me good entry point to into deeper into your book. So, how do you think your book charts a path that is sort of that is different from what Professor Padmanabh Jaini did in his book, in his path-breaking book called The Jaina Path right. of Purification and the other book, that other major book that we didn't mention so far, The Jains by Professor Paul Dundas in the UK. Yes. Uh, yes. So how did you chart out your path, which is sort of maybe complementary to these two major books that came before? That's right. And then you have these two excellent books. And of course, the first yes. thing you ask yourself is, why do we need another book, right? It is Jaini's book. Paul Dundas wrote this wonderful book called The yes. Jains. Um, but again, I think part of the answer, in fact, even if you look at on this book, uh, The Jains, it, it kind of gives you part of the answer to the question. He mm-hmm. himself wrote the second edition of that book, mm-hmm. uh, first published, I think, in 1992, and then he did another one in 2002, just because our knowledge keeps mm-hmm. developing, especially in the field of Jain studies, because mm-hmm. there are even many Jain texts that mm-hmm. have not been translated into Western languages, or the last time was over a hundred years ago hmm. the english itself has changed so you read those old translations and the english itself is incomprehensible sometimes you know it's like well, this isn't how we talk anymore mm-hmm. so uh and the other thing that i found was and, and again I, I think professor jaini and professor uh, dundas books are fantastic i, I recommend mm-hmm. them highly yes. all the time yes. i will say that for what I have found with, with my undergraduate students, I teach mainly undergrads, and uh, they're extremely bright, they're extremely curious, but they have no background. Mm. And both Professor Jainese, Professor Jainese's book, I think anyone can pick that up and, and get a good understanding of Jainism, but it helps if you already know some Indian yes. philosophy. Right. A lot of terminology, yes. a lot of things that'll be unfamiliar to someone who's new to it. Right. That's probably my book as well, but I, I, I tried to make it as clear as principle to someone who had no background. Yes. And Professor Dundas' book is, is also very, very clear, but it's massive. I mean, he's he talked about everything, the whole history of, of Jainism, philosophy, and practice. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it could be daunting, I think, to an undergraduate or to someone who's just 
saying, oh, what's Jainism? Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, would, I would feel comfortable assigning, and I do assign their books in upper level undergraduate courses where they've already mm -hmm. done a course or graduate school. Mm -hmm. But I want yeah. to write something someone who knew nothing mm -hmm. could pick up and yes. get an idea. Yes. Yes. So I, definitely, was, yeah. I would completely agree with that. I've read all three books, of course, <laughs> maybe more than one times. And yes. uh, yours is really like, uh, you know, good, uh, you know, tantalizing appetizer. <laughs> so you, you know, you wet your feet and then you dive into the major books by Professor Jenny and Professor Dundas. And then, then you get overwhelmed with so much information from so much, so many technical terms in Professor Jenny's book, especially, and technical details, historical details, archaeological details in Professor Dundas' book. So those three, all three of the books, I think, are comp great complement to each other. I think so. That's, that's well, that's really kind of, if, it's in, if it's in that company, then I'm I'm extremely oh, grateful. Because, yes, uh, of course. Because uh, uh, I, I was, like I said, I was nervous about it. It, it had not. Mm. The part I had really studied for years was the philosophy. Okay. So you know, I was venturing into, for me, fairly new territory uh, with some of the chapters, but, okay. but I learned so much. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about writing and teaching. We're, we're learning new things all the yes, time. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And so let's, uh, I guess, uh, let's take a look chapter by chapter, right? Okay. So, uh, so in the introduction, uh, how would you, I mean, how have you introduced Jainism or how would you maybe, you know, if you, if you were to go for a second edition of your book, how would you introduce Jainism? Or what's the best way to, for a beginner to, you know, how we make it relevant for a, for a, for a student who is in America or in UK or in Europe? You know, how do we make it, make him or her relevant, Jainism relevant for these students? And, and how have you Very done good. from your book? Yeah. I, and I'm, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. And I'll just quickly say, if, if my publisher is listening, uh, I would love the opportunity to do a second edition okay. because learned much more about Jainism since I wrote that book uh -huh. than I knew it. So it's, you know, it's been 12 years uh -huh. and, uh, and I've had a lot more interaction with the community uh, and so on. Uh, but in, in the current book, um, what I do at the beginning, I, I really talk about what I'm intending to do with the book mm -hmm. and the, is to reach people who really don't know anything about the tradition. And I have some reflections in there just drawn from my experience of teaching college students in the U.S. that uh, I, they found the Jain tradition was the most difficult one for them to mm. relate to in many ways, mm. because the yeah. uh, Jain tradition takes certain core ideas that you find in all the Dharma traditions, like mm. karma, for example, and it takes them to their, I guess you could say their logical end, or if you were being critical, you could say to their extreme. Mm. I suppose the dramatic case would be the Salekana or Santara mm. practice. Yes. Very few Jains actually do, but they're, they're mm. the idea that slowly not, you know, in, ingesting food and, and starving mm. to death, giving up the body, that this could be a, a, the noblest and the highest and most spiritual thing you could do. Mm. From students, mostly from a Christian background, they just they have a hard time wrapping their heads around that. Mm. Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, but of course, their tradition is based on the idea that. Jesus gave his life for people. So why not give our life for all life forms, right? right, right. The insects, the microbes, and so on. And uh, what I find some of the students, in fact, they, they, they came away admiring the tradition greatly, but mm -hmm. not relating to it. They could see themselves you know, maybe being Hindu, right? They, they, could, they could identify they enjoyed, uh, the, the imagery of the deities and mm -hmm. festivals. Mm -hmm. and they could see themselves easily being Buddhist. You know, they like meditation mm -hmm. and uh, being Jane, there's like, no, it's, it's too hard, right? This too was hard. Too I, I wanted to, to present it in a way that could 
address and overcome some of that mm-hmm. uh, what what I might call resistance uh, on mm-hmm. the part of the students. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be sure it wasn't something in the way I was presenting it that, that was causing the problem. And so um, what I did in the book is I tried to emphasize, I thought uh, maybe a little more than I saw, for example, in Professor Jani's book, that experience of everyday Jane householders, lay people mm-hmm. who are not monks, right? Mm-hmm. They're not the ground in front of them and as they were they're not wearing the mupati all the time they're mm-hmm. they're not you know, doing santara they that they, they are uh living the lives of really very similar to what say vaishnav hindus uh, in right. gujarat would name diet and everything mm-hmm. so uh and even the cover of the book uh, mm-hmm. you know a conventional way of doing a book on jainism you have a picture of a monk or of a picture mm-hmm. of a murti of one of the jinnas and everything's very serene. You, know, you think of Mount Abu, right? Yeah. White marble, everything is serene. So I have this crazy picture of people at the uh, Abhisheka of Bahubali getting just soaked with <laughs> this, uh, sindhur and, and yes. milk and water. And it's all yes. just kind of raining down on them and they're they're celebrating and they're happy. Yeah. It's this very joyful thing. So I wanted to say you know, the Jain tradition is as joyful and life-affirming Rich for yeah. it's, it's it's joyful. It's bhakti going on, and and um, so that they don't come away. The readers don't come away with the idea that it's only austerity mm. and fasting. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you you'll get these very exaggerated uh, books. That well, okay. There was a book over a century ago by a woman named Margaret Stevenson, hmm. and Paul just mentions it. Book, yeah, it's called The Heart of Jainism, and okay. as Paul Dunn as its basic thesis is that Jainism has no heart. <laughs> it's, you know, fasting. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's, that's so wrong, right? That's contrary. Uh, yeah. At any time in the community, it's the opposite of what you find. Mm-hmm. And so I want a sense of the, the joy. Of, I could have called the book The Joy of Jainism. Maybe I'll, maybe this <laughs> call that. Uh, it's, because, because, you know, you're trying to, the, the, it, Jain, the Jain teaching, and you see this in Vedanta too, right? It, the soul, the jiva is pure, pure bliss, right? Hmm. Satyadatta in the Vedanta tradition, they say, uh, ananta sukha, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Infinite bliss uh, yeah. is, is the of the soul in, in right. Jainism. Satyadatta, so yes, yes. Exactly. It's not gloomy and, and right, 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 right. pessimistic. So, uh, yeah. So, I guess uh, on Salekhana or Santara, how have they responded? I mean, how did you, if you take a you know, more specific example of that, how exactly have you, you know, tried to overcome their resistance and how do you explain that? Why Samhara, why Salekna? Yeah, I finally found a story that actually was very helpful in that regard. Okay. Uh, it's the story of the, the great uh, Digambar uh, sage Samantabhadra uh-huh. and the author of a very important text, the Aptamimansa, um, right. and uh, really a major thinker in developing Syadvada. But that, that's mm-hmm. how I knew him originally. But he also undertook Salekna. Mm-hmm. And there's a story about him. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but according to the story, uh, well, an important thing about Salekna, this sort of self-starvation, you have to do it with the permission of your guru. Mm-hmm. You don't just kind of decide, right? Mm-hmm. There's a book on this called Salekna is Not Suicide, and it explains, you know, this isn't something you do out of despair or despondency. Mm-hmm. It's because it's very joyful, detached, setting aside mm-hmm. of the body. So according to the story, Samantabhadra contracted leprosy. Mm-hmm. So he had this terrible disease. Mm-hmm. So he decided to undertake Salekana. So he asked his guru and his guru said, no, mm. uh, your 
attached to your body. You, you, you want to do this because you want to become free from the pain of the body. So, but you know, if the pain comes from your karma. And if mm. you do that, you're going to be born in another body and you're going to keep having the same pain. Mm. So he t- go spend some time, spend a year, according to the version that I read, he said, spend a year meditating mm. and reflecting. And, and so he did. And he came back and his master, his guru said, so do you still want to, to undertake Salekna? And according to the story, Samantha Badra says, well, I've been meditating a lot and I realize, you know, that this jiva, the soul is not the body. The mm. body's like, thing, you know, you put it on, it comes and goes. He said, I leave it up to you. Mm. I am attached. I'm unconcerned whether I do so like or not, it's in your hands. Mm. And then his mother says, now you're ready mm. to do something. Mm. You, have <laughs> you can see the attachment and you can have detached your soul from your body. Now you're ready. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. It comes from this very serene place. Mm-hmm. And when the students tell that story, they, they still, it, it still, I think, is probably very alien to them, but mm. makes more sense mm. than just, you know, oh, you starve yourself and mm. is, yeah, they, they, they're, they're getting really more a richer mm. understanding. It is definitely it, not suicide. Yeah. <laughs> so at least that suicide, much yeah. will be clear that it's not suicide. Like suicide's really uh, regarded uh, as a very, it's very, you know, pop karma, right? It's a very bad karma. It's a very bad thing to do mm-hmm. in, in all the Dharma traditions. That there's this very serene letting go of the body. Mm-hmm. And there's a tradition of doing that in, in all the traditions. And of course, there's the famous story of the Buddhist monks in Vietnam who mm-hmm. immolated themselves while mm-hmm. they were in meditation. But they weren't feeling any pain. They were in very serene state. But they did this out of compassion to, mm-hmm. to draw attention to the world to what was happening in their country. Mm-hmm. And... That is not suicide in the convention. If suicide means taking one's own life because of some very deep emotional turmoil, right. that's defeatist story. Yeah, right. So it's not suicide. Have, it's also not euthanasia, right? From from the right. example that you shared. Yes, yeah. The other yeah, and question, this is, yeah. Go ahead, please. Right. Yeah. So other question I have faced when I have t- tried teaching Jainism to students in Texas: How do you or, or uh, you know how do you relate uh, the condition of uh, asceticism and the fact that certain uh, uh, eligibilities are required before you can achieve moksha how have you dealt with in your teaching or in, in your book you know the uh, for example you know monks and nuns issues or gender right. issues would you like to share a little bit more on that right well, I've, I've talked about those in a very frank way the uh, the shvetambara and digambara traditions have different views Right. about this right, right, right. and uh another great book by by padman abjani is yes. gender and self yeah he talks about the fact that the, according to the digamba interpretation of jainism that uh, um the well okay the, there are five core practices that are required of everyone for moksha right. and one of the aparigraha so right. non-attachment non-ownership mm-hmm. and the digambas take that very literally to mean that even clothing mm-hmm. right something basic is clothing uh the fact that we wear clothing is a sign of our attachment to the body mm. and even that has to go so mm. digumber means blood, and the, the main ascetics don't wear anything no. and they say that's a prerequisite for mm-hmm. now women cannot undertake that practice mm. according to Dick. Mm. it's it, it's believed that you know, it would cause a scandal in society mm. and there there would be you know all kinds of bad things that mm. is believed that that could come from that. So the implication is that in in the Digumber interpretation, you have to be reborn, Mm -hmm. uh, several things, reborn as a male, Mm -hmm. then uh, become a Jain, become a Digumber Jain, Mm -hmm. become a Digumber Jain ascetic and practice this 
complete aparigraha, yes. and only then can you get moksha. And uh, I mean, the students' reaction to that, and I, I think many of us kind of instinctively think, well, that's not fair, right? I mean, you know, the, the you know, we. We, we know women who are very spiritually evolved. There were great women teachers, mm-hmm. including in the Digamba tradition of Jainism. Right? There's mm-hmm. this wonderful teacher I think you and I have both met. Uh, uh, Janmati Matadi, yes, yes. He's somewhere in Delhi right now. Yes, yes. One of the most inspirational people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. But according to her own tradition, she's going to have to be reborn mm-hmm. uh, as a male in order to, to get liberation. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Shvetambar interpretation says well you know it's it's the attitude of aparigraha that matters uh you know th- this kind of becoming overly preoccupied with things like clothing is itself a type of attachment you know, there are fierce debates between the yes. two about this in fact they, they even say the 19th tetankar malinath is, is female yes, yes. and, and uh, in, that's right and the shvetambras also say that uh uh, Queen Trishala, that is the mother of Mahavira, attained moksha. Right, mm-hmm. so uh, that's in the that's in the Agamas, which the Digambas don't accept. <laughs> they don't accept. Yeah. So there, there, there's this debate. Yeah. Um, I I would say th- there's a very delicate balance as a teacher that you want to mm-hmm. to when you're presenting this material. On the one hand, everyone's of course free to have their own opinion, mm-hmm. and I certainly, I mean, my own sympathies are. I think much more on the Shvetambar side mm-hmm. in this issue, mm-hmm. but that makes me even more careful to try to present the Degumber view in as, as sympathetic mm-hmm. a light as possible. Mm-hmm. And there's something important to note. Mm-hmm. It's not the case that, well, now you're a woman, you can't be liberated, but maybe in your next life, you'll be a male. And you, According to Jain teaching, we have already passed the period of cosmic mm-hmm. history anybody in this world can get liberation so we're all gonna have to get reborn exactly so in some future you know yuga right. you know maybe you know we all get reborn as male digambas and you know uh yeah. do the practice but uh as it's, now, we're all ineligible <laughs> we're all ineligible we're so all- in, in that sense, then it's not as restrictive as it looks because Sorry. it's not that the Digambas are all getting moksha. You know, the, the Gummer males are just like all getting moksha right and left. You know, it hasn't happened in thousands of years, according yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, much like Theravada Buddha, yeah. there, there hasn't been an art for thousands of years, according to, mm-hmm. to the Theravada teaching. So um, mm-hmm. it, I, I, I always try to give that side so yeah, that. Don't leave class. Thinking, well, the Gumber Janes are sexist. I mean, that's 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 the temptation, and you don't want right. them to play with that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. And other, uh, I guess, let's go to the next point. Next uh, question I find me ask is, uh, you know, sometimes I I used to face this question that uh, does Jains uh, are discouraged from doing charity? Is it okay to help do us? You know, charity in a traditional sense. Is it okay to do from Jain perspective or not? Would you like mm-hmm. to, you know? share a little bit more how you have dealt that issue in your book and with your students yeah. also. Because the question comes up because, you know, all of our sufferings are due to our karma. Right. And what, and I, I've actually had to do a lot of research myself to kind of fully understand the Jane view on this uh-huh. because there's a lot of Jane charity that goes on. Right? The yeah. early animal hospitals in the world, the Pandrabals were made by the Jains. Right. So clearly there's a view that you can do good for others. Right. What I find is sort of the limit of that in Jainism is you, you used this word earlier when we were talking about so like in a euthanasia. Yeah. 
That is a line that cannot be crossed. That uh, if, if an animal or a human being is suffering a lot physically, it is not an acceptable expression of compassion to end their life. And the reason for this is actually very logical if you think about, about Jainism, because uh, we are all suffering because of our karma. Now, if you end someone's life thinking I'm ending their suffering, well, you don't know that their pop karma, their bad karma has been exhausted. They're probably going to get reborn and suffer again. Now, if someone says, well, then why, why is it okay to give medicine? Why is it okay Mm. to give a glass of water? Right. Why is it okay to do other kinds? Uh, Well, you're not ending their life, right? You're not, you're not taking away their opportunity. And in fact, within their lifetime, you could say that the fact that they have met you Mm. is also right so uh, they, they have, there's bad karma but there's also good karma there's punya karma so they've met you you can do a good deed and you know you feed animals care for human beings who are who are sick and poor and, but ending the life of a living being is uh for any reason isn't acceptable right. exactly I, I sometimes use this expression i said if, if jains believed in a creator god they would say you're playing god right ah. by taking <laughs> right good that's not a Jane view. So, <laughs> but, but, so I did once hear a Jane use that expression, and they're playing God. You know, it's uh, like uh, the idea that of, uh, yeah, you reminded me of uh, of a famous controversy that Mahatma Gandhi had with traditional Jains in Ahmedabad, right? You, maybe you also know that, right? That a cow was suffering, and Gandhi wanted to kill that cow, euthanasia for that cow, and Jane said, "No, you cannot yes. play God. Let the cow fulfill its own, you know, karma path." Let it fulfill, let it suffer whatever suffering, because we, we don't want to force that cow to for another birth to get rid of the, his or her pop, you know, past pop karma or whatever. So even Gandhi That's was, right. you know, Jens disagreed, even, disagreed even with Gandhi. And that was very yes. reported in newspapers. Yeah. There's a wonderful film on Jainism. Uh, in fact, it's about Ahmedabad and right. focuses on the. It's called The Frontiers of Peace. Yes. Jainism. And I've cited it in my book and, and I use it in my classes all the time. And they talk about that incident. And yes. this shocks the students because a couple of weeks before, they've uh-huh. watched scenes from the movie Gandhi and they've <laughs> learned about Gandhi. And so, you know, Gandhi, nonviolence. And they realize even <laughs> from the point of view, even Gandhi wasn't quite. Even Gandhi was not quite nonviolent <laughs> from that perspective. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, that, that is giving me another question to continue our conversation. So what about the intellectual violence or intellectual non-violence? Professor Court wrote a, a very interesting paper, intellectual non-violence that can be correlated with Syadwad. And then yes. you dealt with the, your book, I think the you know, final chapter, that uh, gens are pretty close to intellectual non-violence based on Syadwad and Anikam. What is your view now, now that it has been more than a decade that you wrote your book and maybe you can... Right, right. Well, and in fact, one of the things that attracted me to, to studying Syadwad was precisely because that looks like intellectual hinsa, right? If you interpret it a certain way. What John Court argued, and Paul Dundas makes this point as well, mm-hmm. and then Professor Jaini made it to me in person when I met him once. By the way, I want you to really understand <laughs> uh, that uh, traditionally many Jain philosophers mm-hmm. actually use Advada to show that, look, the Jain view is all-encompassing. These other views are partial, mm-hmm. right? So it's really very much like a glass, half water, a glass of water, half full or half empty argument. Like if you want to look at it positively, you could say, look, the Jain philosophy is saying that there's truth in all traditions. Mm -hmm. 
But then you can switch it and say, yeah, but the Jain philosophy is also saying that all traditions have only part of the truth. Whereas <laughs> you, 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 can, you can encompass many perspectives. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way I approach that in my book, and it's still mm-hmm. pretty close to what I, what I say today, is that mm-hmm. from a historical perspective, Professor Court is absolutely right. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the text, that's what they say. Though there are a couple of interesting exceptions. Uh, Hari Badrasuri, a mm-hmm. uh, very important thinker, uh, thinker uh, Dr. Chapel, Chris Chapel, has done a really mm-hmm. good translation of his mm-hmm. Yoga Drishti Samuchaya, where you know his per- collection of views on yoga. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's really affirming what he sees as positive in all of these perspectives. There's mm-hmm. a couple of critical things to say about Tantra, but otherwise, Haribadra is very you know, all-encompassing in his right. view. Yes. And then uh, uh, more recently, uh, just a few centuries ago, uh, Yashovijaya. Oh, also, uh, also very open, very well Respecting to everybody, right? All are true. All are good. Yes, all are good. He quotes from the Gita, you know, and things like that. He's he's quite happy to to bring in things from. He studied Navyanaya in, in Banaras and is is open to many philosophies. Right. The predominant thread has been, yeah, you know, oh, the Buddhists have peace of the truth, and Sankhya has peace of the truth, and you know, Nyaya has peace of the truth, but the Jain Darshan has the whole truth. <laughs> so they're right about that historically. But the thing is about. These are philosophical concepts. Mm-hmm. So if you've understood the concept, you can apply it mm-hmm. in any way you, you wish, as long as you can defend and show that it's mm-hmm. consistent and, and logical. And, and uh, also there, there's a, and, and, I, and I, I, a long-term project I have is to go into this in more depth. Mm-hmm. Going back to the tradition, you know, we were giving the Degumbers maybe a hard time earlier about the women's issue, but mm-hmm. uh, the, Really great Digambar Acharya or teacher, mm-hmm. uh, has his own model of the doctrine of perspectives. Mm-hmm. And he talks about uh, the Nishayanaya, that is the, mm-hmm. the ultimate, highest, or final perspective. Mm-hmm. And for him, that's, that's not actually Jainism. It's something beyond words, beyond concepts that one has to experience. It's the nature of the soul itself. He goes, it's the nature of the soul. The essence of the soul is the ultimate perspective. Hmm. And so anything that you put into words is going to be in the relative. He uses the term, this is the Jain version of the two, two, two truths doctrine that hmm. some might know is also used by Shankaracharya and by Nagarjuna. Um, maybe the Jains came upon it first, though mm. that's debatable. That's all these things about it is debatable. Mm. Um, but th- there's a Jain version of it. Mm. And I think this perspective definitely creates a space for what we today call pluralism. Mm. So there's an old truth that's beyond words, mm. but when we're in the realm of thoughts and ideas, you know, we can connect them in, the, in this way, you know, using sadhva and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and a, and a, a nice thing about this whole line of questioning is it shows there is diversity in the Jain tradition mm. too. Oh, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And not every thinker is saying exactly the same thing. Right, right. So I guess, so can we say that uh, Jain, even with this diversity of views, Jain philosophy in general is tending more towards intellectual nonviolence uh, a bit more than, I mean. Today, that seems to be the dominant view. I mean, when, when I speak with people in the Jain community, I mean, that that's the understanding, mm-hmm. right? And three, I, I call them the three A's, right? Mm-hmm. Ahinsa, Anikantva, and Aparigraha that right. constitute a kind of holistic approach to life mm-hmm. that is rooted in not harming others and not you know, more than, than we need and in respecting the views of others, not engaging right. 
controversial. Yeah. And so, so I think that the intellectual hinsa idea has become uh, the, the dominant view in the Jain. Especially as the diaspora Jains, Jains living in, in Americas or in Europe, they are really promoting that intellectual nonviolence is the frontal face of Jainism globally. It is what they like to project at least here. I think it is. That we can say that. And um, but even in India, you know, like the the recently passed away um, Acharya Mahapragya. Uh, oh, yes. Writing on Sadhvata really influenced my thinking a lot when I was writing my oh. dissertation. Oh, and he, okay. he, think he taught that uh, as well. But yes, this is kind of like you say, the public face of, of oh, the Jain right, community. Right, right. Hey. Now, right. on the hand, you know, sort of more critical scholars would point out that you'll also have Jains who say Jainism is the highest religion, it's the universal religion, it's the supreme religion. Like everyone says that yeah, about right. their religion. We are the best. We are the best. Everybody says that. Whatever we are, we're the best. And uh, but I don't see the kind of uh, like aggressive proselytizing. Oh, or, yes. you know, oh yeah. that's absolutely in, true. Yes, yes. At least yeah. they will. They will. I, I have not. I have not met any Hindu Jain or even for that matter Hindu or Buddhist who will say that if you're not a Jain or Hindu or Buddhist, you're going to hell. That's not going to happen. That's they are not saying. Nobody saying that. And, at least. Right. and even if you did, you'd be reborn after that right. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> if you went to hell, it wouldn't be because you weren't a Jain. It would be because you you know killed somebody or something. Yeah. yeah. You have to face your karma, your basic consequences. Yes. <clears throat> right, right. Uh, I guess let's come to now uh, another major topic that we, uh, that I'm sure you have dealt with and I've dealt with in my teaching with the students here undergraduate organization is the issue of Gandhi and influence of Jainism on Gandhi. What is your view or how have you dealt in your book uh, connecting Gandhi with Jainism? Yeah, I think Gandhi was heavily influenced by Jainism and uh, there's several, um, you know, pieces of evidence for this and one is his own words right he mm. he taught he says in phone in fact he talks about anikantavad and syadvad specifically he said i'm an anikantavadi i'm a syadvadi you know he he adopts that uh he grew up in gujarat which is mm -hmm. a very heavy population um before he went to england to study law mm -hmm. he took vows uh before a jain monk to abstain from any impure practice while he was abroad and that the, the jain monk was his mother's guru mm -hmm. though she was a vaishnav hindu so he had yeah. this wonderful interplay of, of religions there yeah. and then of course uh, we also know that gandhi's own guru his his great exemplar in life was uh srimad rajchandra uh rajchand bhai Mehta, and who was uh, a jain diamond merchant but uh, though a householder Mm -hmm. As far as everyone says, everything we have written about him, totally detached mm -hmm. and uh, really embodied and, and taught for Gandhi you know, the, the core principles. And he really learned the Hindu from, from uh, Rajshandra Mehta. So, mm -hmm. uh, and the, there's a whole you know, Jain school of thought based on Sriman mm -hmm. writings. Mm -hmm. So I, we have every reason to, to say that Gandhi was very heavily influenced by the Jain tradition. Though, to my knowledge, he never called himself a Jain. Yeah, uh, that's, he, that's good. That's good. And, uh, but uh, one of my favorite Gandhi quotes, and I, I delve into it in the book, mm. is where he actually talks about Anikantabad because mm -hmm. his, uh, he, had, he had several newspapers, and one of them was called Young India. And mm -hmm. he always wrote an editorial, and sometimes mm -hmm. he would talk in 
So Advaita Vedanta and universal oneness. And then he would also talk about God in a very theistic mm. way. Mm. Vaishnavs or Christians or Muslims could relate to. Mm. So someone wrote a letter to the editor and said, which is it? Do you believe in Advaita Vedanta or do you believe in you know, theism and theistic dualism? And both, yeah. and he said, well, I'm, a, I'm an Anikantavadi. I believe in both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <forget. laughs> Yeah, exactly. So he really uh, and and he did something that uh, I mean I call it practical anekantavada, kind of like Swami Vivekananda's practical Vedanta. Mm-hmm. Him, it wasn't just a theoretical or philosophical concept, but it shaped how he interacted with people. Mm-hmm. So when he comments on what he means, he says my anekantavada is not that of the philosophers. He said it's 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 practical. Uh, I have learned to see myself as others see me mm-hmm. and to be patient with those with whom I disagree because I have to see them from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so for him, it was a very practical, again, kind of intellectual ahimsa. Right. right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. All, all, all what you said. Yeah. He did get inspiration from Leo Tolstoy and John Ruskin and Bhagavad Gita, <clears throat> but uh, Srimad Rachan's influence, I think was the, one of the heaviest, on him, although he never called himself Jain, but he corresponded for right. six years while he was in South Africa and Shimadra Chandra was in Gujarat and they were writing letters to each other. Gandhi was asking questions and you almost say that he's my guru, but not quite officially, but he's almost like my right. guru and he's getting... Yeah, I think a guru in a sort of very spiritual and meaningful sense, but not a kind of formal sense. Like I don't right. think he gets kind of diksha or anything exactly. like that. Exactly. And in fact, he wasn't in a position to because he was a lay person, right? He right. wasn't a among yeah so uh, but a guru in a kind of in a very, very yes teacher and inspirator teacher in that right. and he apparently visited some of the places where she was staying or living and 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 so he, yeah he definitely was very heavily influenced but of course he also yeah. called Bhagavad Gita as his mother John Ruskin oh, yeah. calls her and and even S.D. Thoreau I think he took some ideas from he took ideas from all over the place he loved the Sermon on the Mount. He said that was everything. Every all the scriptures of the world disappeared, and only the Sermon on the Mount was left. That would be enough. So, <laughs> be enough. right, right. And then Gandhi's influence on Dr. King and Nelson Mandela. So, can we say that this thread is running from Mahavir to Shemad Rachandra to Gandhi to Dr. King and to Nelson Mandela, and, and so so it sort of remains relevant. I think, Samas, right? What do you I think you can. I think you can say that. It's, is there, there's a, another book I've recently written on Hinduism in America, which uh, oh, yes, is yes. complementary in many ways to your Dharma in America that is a bookshelf there behind. And uh, yes. one of the threads of, if, if we brought it beyond Hinduism to say, you know, Indian spiritual thought, philosophy, culture in America, mm-hmm. there's definitely a Jain thread there. Oh. And it's this, it's what you're talking about, right? It's this, right. it's this, it, of nonviolence, not just peace, but nonviolence, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a great book. It was one that I uh, I used a lot, uh, cited a lot in my in my work on Hinduism in America, by Paul Oliver. It's called Hinduism in the 1960s, oh. and uh, the counterculture and the whole oh. you know, the hippie the peace movement. And he mentions Jainism as oh. as okay. an influence, and it's just like you said, via Gandhi. Oh. You know, in a very quiet subterranean way, you have actually oh. Jain. Finding its way into the life oh. and speech work of Martin King, Nelson Mandela, in very intangible ways, but still, yes, yes, things are- And that uh, you know, vegetarianism, of course, that's part of Hinduism as well, but it's so emphasized by the Jains, right? right? So these are all things that became 
more popular and important in, in starting in the 1960s in the U.S. Mm. And they have, uh, you know, Jainism is part of that genealogy, um, right, right. I would right, say. Right, right. Great. I think we covered a lot of interesting topics. I think anything you would like to add that we that I didn't ask so far, anything you would like to add? Oh, I, I guess one thing uh, I know, well, I know it's very dear to your heart. Uh, oh, yeah. And I said a little bit about it in my book, but with Jainism and ecology and yes. the environment. Yes, yes, yes. I, I think that's, uh, yeah, in your Dharma and ecology book is there behind you too. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is, uh, along with Anikantava, this is another big part, as you said, the sort of public face of Jainism, that this right. is a very conscious tradition and there too you know scholars like uh john court and paul dundas have pointed out you know on a, on a, in a critical vein say yes the ancient jains weren't environmentalists in the modern sense they were interested in moksha right they weren't interested in saving the earth they were interested in getting away from it right um uh, but the effect of their practice and uh, their impact on the environment or lack of impact on the environment mm. is exactly what need right now and uh i wrote an article on this way like early in my career uh it's mm. called the paradoxes of radical asceticism and mm. the paradox of jain ascetic practice is that in the process of seeking to escape from the world and become free from the world they have shown the way to save the world mm. that by not consuming more than mm. one need by reducing mm. our what we now call our carbon footprint uh we're actually doing good and uh, so I think that that's another piece yes. I'd want to mention right. the Jain tradition. Keeping really the carbon important. footprint low and not interfering with nature's its own course. Let the nature take its own course. Let the animals take their own course. Insects, do not touch, do not kill, do not harm. Stay away. Exactly. You do your, you follow your path, let them follow their paths, right? Insulin. Exactly. Yes. And, I, and, and if I could, just one last thing. Yeah, and sure, this, sure. Is, this is how I end the book, actually. Yeah. I'm giving away the, so maybe, maybe that's <laughs> Spoiler alert, right? But I say this to my students in my classes is most Westerners will not want to become Jain, right? Oh. This is the whole consumer lifestyle yeah. of the West mm -hmm. at odds with this. Mm -hmm. But if everyone became just a little more Jain, <laughs> it'd be a huge, <laughs> giant impact. Uh, you know, okay, you're not going to become a vegetarian. Be a vegetarian one day a week. Little bit, yes. yeah. Little bit faster, a little bit vegetarianism, less meat consumption, a bit yeah. more conscious, less, less one less shirt, maybe one more year with your old car, one more year with your old furniture, <laughs> right? Something exactly. like that. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You know, don't put the lights on if you're not in the room. Yes, just, all exactly. these. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, yes. Because lights, light also, electricity also is part of fire, and fire has soul. Fire bodied beings have souls. So do not, exactly. you know, little less wastage of water, little less wastage of energy, little less wastage of earth and air and, and all of that. Yes. Good. And all gens have to remember that also, you know, all gens are not perfect beings. Oh, and, that's right. Know, everybody has to implement these great things. And this is what, this is what Professor Jaini wanted to uh, make sure I understood. He attended a talk that I gave on Anikantava, you know, how it could be used for intellectual hinsa and so on. And, uh, I, I, I mentioned it in my talk, but I think he was very concerned that I not romanticize Jain oh. pieces. Just want you to know that Jains are, and he said this as a Jain. He said, you know, we're as terrible as everyone else. So, <laughs> yes, yes. I appreciate we all have to implement a bit yeah. more of these ideas, these great teachings to save our precious world. Yes, yes. Wonderful. We all need to be better. Yeah. Yes. 
anything else you would like to add or i think i covered well, a lot of ground and uh, thank you for inviting uh, yes and i welcome and invite everybody whoever is listening or will listen to you know get into you know wet your feet by professor long's book and then you can you're ready for next venture into diving into jainism but his book is a great entry or great gateway great gateway to the world of jainism in a very very you know he's he- holding your hands and taking into the world of jains and so that's way that's the way i see his book which is great help to oh, understand very jainism kind of, very kind you, of you to... thank you thank you long we'll continue these kind of conversation thank you thank you nice thank you thank you bye bye